Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And I have some great news. Um, the film that I made, uh, the last film, uh, Lady Hyde, um, that we played and had a premiere at uh, Dreamland Cinema here in Sacramento, California, after that, um, in the past I've always put it out in film festivals or have uh, put it on DVD and went around and sold it the old-fashioned way, either by going to conventions or selling it at stores in my area or, um, uh, what was the other way, um, selling it through the mail or this and that, websites. But nowadays, we have streaming services, so I went and I did a uh, closed captioning track on it and uh, paid to get that done professionally and went through and did all their requirements for the right um, processing speeds and artwork dimensions and all the words and the cell points. and That, that was almost as hard as making the film, to be honest with you. So, And i got to do that again, coming up with Emmanuel and Sin City, so we shall see. But hard work sometimes pays off. So what was really cool is put that through, and now Lady Hyde will be available soon. Um, first looks like on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, hopefully around October, mid of mid of October, it looks like maybe or end of October. You know, I, I to be honest with you, I really don't know. I just know that it was purchased and then it goes delivered. So it was delivered. So they don't say, "Hey, Jason, by the way, your film is going to be debut on this date." Let everybody know. It just jumps up. Then I have to keep searching a couple times a day myself. And if I find it, then I put the word out. So. I'm guessing that Lady Hyde will be available on Amazon Prime in October, followed shortly after streaming on a second channel, Momentu, M-O-M-E-N-T-U, I believe, Um, and a third channel, which I was excited about because it's one of my favorite streaming channels, The Great Tubi. So I'm thinking that might be maybe November or so, or maybe October, we don't know, maybe December, but definitely uh, Tubi is going to have it. So yeah, there it is, Lady Hyde so far on Amazon Prime, Mama 2, and Tubi. So, man, maybe more. We'll see. Each week's a different story. So yeah, Tubi was just added yesterday. It was purchased, and then it has, or it says, uh, yeah, purchase, or it says, um, Selected. First it says selected. So like with Amazon, it says selected, and then it was a few weeks, and then it said delivered. So I was like, okay, it was updated. So then I learned, okay, well, now there's a... Because I thought it was selected, then it goes. But it was selected, then delivered, and then you don't know however long they decide to put it up. So, so yeah, that's good. So we'll have that. Um, like I said, it's my homage and my version of uh, She Killed in Ecstasy mixed with my own Love Blade sequel and mixed with Lady Wrestling and a lot of other cool stuff. So it's a it's a whole uh, pot, like a Franco list. And I did do a Franco list on that as well. I built that film and wrote it with Franco checklist in mind and tried to do as many checklists off there as much as I can. No masturbation with C-Items. <laughs> but the next film we shall see. Which brings us to this film. Film number 109. So jealous, God. I've done 15 films, and he's done already 109 at this point. And this is uh, a fun one. A very thin, uh, streamlined, independent film called El Sinestro Dr. Orloff. That's the Spanish theatrical title. Spain, 1982, this was shot. Before we go into further, of course, I always pull from Flowers of Perversion, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. All right. Uh, production company course is Golden Films International out of Barcelona. Golden Films is really cool. I'm, I, I'm watching all these in order for the first time, and um, I'm really digging this Golden Films period. I've always heard it talking about or spoken about and uh, read about a little bit, and definitely digging these series of films. They're almost like um, almost like Canon films, but with way less money. But it's just a cycle he's doing for this husband and wife their production company and it's uh he's he's redoing his old ideas in a modern setting and streamlining them and just putting out one film a month really good stuff the distributors for this is uh francisco gratitokas matamaza and mediterraneo films alternative titles 
which is on my my, uh, DVD cover, which uh, is uh, Experimentos Macabros, Spanish video, and Experimentos Macabros, Dr. Orloff, with one F-O-R-L-O-F. That's the Spanish video cover, which I have, but uh, it's the Spanish satellite TV print, which is missing, like I said, seven or eight minutes toward the end. Uh, All right, so shooting date on this, um, circa January, February, 82. These are one of these films where he's doing like 12 a year. He shoots for one week. He does the dubbing and editing for the next two weeks. And then I guess plans that last week for the next film. And then the following week shoots, starts it up again. Beautiful system. I would love to be on that cycle. That would just be so streamlined, just awesome. Uh, yeah, shooting date, circa January, February, 82. Uh, he got the uh, legal number for it in March of 82. And it played Seville in April 16th of 1983. Then played Madrid May 10th of 84. And Barcelona October 21st of 1985. Theatrical running time, Spain, 87 minutes. Uh, writer-director, Jess Franco. Director of photography, Juan Solar, Cozar. Uh, makeup, uh, Manuelita Freire. Music, Daniel White as Pablo Vila and uncredited Jess Franco, performed by Jess Franco on The Prophet 5. <laughs> Jess Franco on The Prophet 5, that must be the keyboard name. The theme, Melissa, written by Jess Franco and Rebecca White. Lab, Photo Film Madrid, uh, uncredited. Okay, first camera operator, Jess Franco. And who's the other camera operator if he's the first? How does, okay, so so he wrote, directed it. First camera operator. Okay, camera assistant was Angel Orderales. Production manager, Antonio Mayans. Editor, Jess Frank. Okay, good. That's what I wanted. That's why he knocked these out quick. Writer, director, editor. Film. Writer, director, camera, and editor. Just like me. Those are the four things you have to do to get streamlined if you can write if you can direct if you can film it you can edit it yourself that's complete control right there um what else we got here um of course the producers with the husband and wife team stella and emilio laraga cast on this uh kind of went over that go through it again antonio mayans of course billed as robert foster he plays dr alfred orloff the son of dr orloff Howard Vernon in a more of a cameo role, uh, even though he's top billed. Um, he is Dr. Orloff Sr. in this. No first name, just Dr. Orloff Sr. Antonio Raballo returns. Um, he's been in the last few films. Uh, he's billed as Tony Skios, and he plays Inspector Mario Tanner. Uh, Rocco Frias plays Muriel Tanner slash Melissa. So his, uh, okay, so it's the same actress that plays the mother and the husband's. I thought they looked really, really, really similar. So he had the, uh, well, she's naked in bowl, so I guess the makeup's different. Uh, Rafael Quintano plays, oh, he's actually billed as Raf Smog. What a cool name. R A F, and last name Smog. So he's billed as Andros. That's the, the big. Frankenstein's monster. So yeah, Raf Smog. Nice. Uh, Juan Solar Cozar plays Malou. Oh, cool. I didn't know that was him. Nice. So yeah, he's uh, Malou in this. He, he, okay, cool. And uh, Now I recognize him um, with the beard and everything. Angel Rales as Tio Santamater. He plays Perico, a.k.a. El Bos, a vagabond. Jess Franco plays Agapito Del P, the proprietor of the Golden Thimble. Genoviva Ojeda slash Ava Palmer, but built as Lorna Green. I like she has three names. She's foxy. I like her a lot. Uh, she's been in the last few films, and she's the third victim in this. And Maria Paz Oseda as Tina Page plays Orlov victim. And Maria Amor Omo as Marie, Mary Olson plays Orlov victim. We've uh, already kind of talked about the film, so I won't go over the synopsis. Uh, production notes. Um, the sinister Dr. Orloff followed hot on the heels of Black Boots Leather Whips. In fact, it's likely that Franco began collecting material for Orloff while, sh- while still in Torrey Molinos working on Black Boots Leather Whips. Uh, in the earlier movie, 
shooting from a high hotel balcony. Franco had filmed Antonio Mayans leaving the apartment of his girlfriend Paula and traversing in a zigzag modernist walkway down the street. In Sinister Dr. Orloff, we see the same zigzag walkway shot from exactly the same angle, this time with Rocco Frejas, who appears in both films, walking down it. Given that the vast majority of Orloff was shot in Alicante, not Tori Molinos, this is a pretty clear indication that Franco began grabbing material for Orloff while still shooting Black Boots' other whip. Note, too, that the deposit legal numbers are consecutive for Confessions of an Exhibitionist, Black Boots' other whip, and Sinister Dr. Orloff. 10339, 10340, and 10341, which indicates that they were sent off together and registered as a package of three. It's therefore likely that they were shot, edited, and dubbed together, probably in as little as one or two months. Wow. That's crazy. So he might have did three films in either one or two months. Jesus, that's even better than one film a month. Wow. Three films in one or two months. Probably a, two, well, a month and a half, so. God damn. It's like two weeks, two films a week. That's just nothing, no sleep. Just edit, 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 film, film. Beautiful. I love it. Machine. Review. Uh, Sister Dr. Orloff borrows the basic storyline from the awful Dr. Orloff, 61, shifts agency from the infamous surgeon onto his psychotic son and infuses the Miss Isson with cut piece retro, I'm sorry, cut price retro sci-fi harking back to Dr. Orloff's monster and uh, the vengeful Dr. Mabuse. Yeah, that's the other one I was thinking. Um, vengeance of Dr. Mabuse. Sadly, has returned to the site of the former glories. Um, it, subs- it substantially lacks the charm of his forebears. What emerges is a pale shadow of the classic original, lacking any of its atmospheric seductiveness. It's a shame because the core idea could have worked in place of the middle European netherworld of the first two Orloff films. Franco relocates the action to a sensation-hungry nightlife of Alicante with the killer stalking women and moon-soaked shopping arcades, I'm sorry, and neon-soaked shopping arcades and tawdry tourist attractions. Orloff's son Alfred has taken up the family vice of murder and illicit experimentation prowling the darkened seafront, looking for hookers or women too drunk to know what they're doing. Once they're back at his conveniently located apartment, he sneaks off and leaves them in the tender mercies of Andros, his brutish, leather-jacketed manservant. Impassive behind mirrored sunglasses, Andros resembles a killer from an urban slasher movie like Don't Answer the Phone or Maniac, which I mentioned, raising hopes that this will be a formidable blend of Orloffian chills and contemporary American horror. And yet the monster's role is simply to convey the girls from the apartment to Orloff's hillside hideaway. He doesn't even grope the merchandise as he lugs them through the back streets. Uh, don't know how he can do this without being noticed. Franco doesn't care about the plausibility and simply cuts from one location to another. Yeah, he's carrying like naked women over his shoulder like nobody sees him or says anything. It's funny. Uh, this is a film of missed opportunities, and for a supposed horror project, a lack of interest in terror that borders on contempt. Take the monster, Andros. For some reason, we are denied a glimpse of his surgically removed eyes until later in the film. Well, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. You change things around. You don't have to always show it right in the front. Given that the revelation of morphofacial deformity is the first shock in Orphaloff, it's a puzzle why Franco withholds it here for so long. Well, he's not copying himself completely. I mean, come on. Uh, the makeup isn't that bad. No, it's actually pretty good. Uh, but nor is it good enough to justify a long build-up. The first scene in Dr. Orloff uses a tipsy woman going home and disrobing only to find a monster lurking in a bedroom. Comparison of the two scenes, however, reveals a lack of visual flair. He can't pay everything to everything else. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip over some of his too much. Uh, so that way I'm just not reading the book line for line, you know. Um, okay, so... Andros hiding in her closet is almost shot for shot the same as the 61 version, and when Franco himself steps in to tackle the role of a flirtatious and frivolous police witness, originally played by Alina Tejero, the echoes are likewise very strong. All which suggests Franco had recently rewatched the film 
and decided to model the new story quite closely on the old. By the halfway mark, though, Franco's commitment seems to have waned. The awful Dr. Orloff is echoed again when Tanner's wife has an unsettling chance encounter with Orloff, which inspires her at great risk to herself to lure him into the open by posing as a hooker. Um... Fortunately, the relationship between Tan- oh yeah, they mentioned Charlie's Angels, which is a funny scene. Fortunately, the relationship between Tanner and his wife is lackluster compared to the characters, which is true, played by in the '61 film by Diana Lorries and Conrado Martin. And um, yeah, there's really no suspense to it. She just kind of jumps into it in this, which I, I agree. There's that's, uh, but the whole film is streamlined, so I have to throw that in with that theory as well. That since it's streamlined, you don't have to go in as much detail, which. Is, takes the time down as well which actually is better things the more i watch films these films that are over two hours long unless it's an epic you should always be between like 67 68 minutes and like 88 89 maybe high 90s that's about it you shouldn't go over 100 minutes that's 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 too much um let's see Um, I'm a disciple of yours, but times have changed, says Alfred to his father, a comment which raises the possibility of a genuine remount, as if Frank had been watching, say, the surgical horrors of David Cronenberg, but the rejuvenation scenes are incredibly anarchistic, more like the 50s than the 80s. As the process reaches a climax, the victims simply disappear via clumsily lap dissolves, not so much as a wizened husk of pile or dust to render the process visceral, plausible, or interesting. The sacrifice of the three women to revive the killer's mother is scarcely worth the trouble, since the net result is to remove, for a brief shot or two, a thin crust of what looks like icing sugar from her immobile face. Minimalism is all well and good, but Franco has stripped down his material too far here. I I disagree. We're given little more than a slow-moving carousel of five or six repeating images in place of the story. A man driving down a street at night, another man carrying a woman up some stairs, a band turning, a hand turning a dial on a machine, a woman tied to a raised platform, a catatonic woman with a crusty face, two men arguing about what to do next, the sequence is set to repeat play for 80 minutes, and that's simply not enough. Yeah, but that's most films. Most films have a, a cycle and a series of scenes, and you repeat and repeat to build a pattern, and then you break the pattern and show the end. That's, I don't know, that's... It's a formula, and this is a Mad Doctor film, so it should be a formula. Um, <clears throat> incest plays a part in the story this time, with Alfred verbally expressing sexual desire to his comatose mother. The twist is appropriate. When the original Dr. Orloff was repairing the visage of his daughter Melissa, his obsessive intensity seemed borderline sexual as well as paternal. Changing the scenario from father-daughter to mother-son allows a twist on the original concept and complements the Oedipal slant of the remake. The son disobeys the father by continuing his experiments and seeks to triumph where the father cannot, ultimately intending to usurp him in the bedroom as well as the lab. Why Franco didn't have Orloff Sr. discover his son's secret lust is a mystery. It would have made an explosive confrontation between the two male leads and given extra weight to the finale in which Orloff deliberately switches on the life-draining apparatus while Alfred and Andros are leaning over the corpse of Muriel Tanner. This somehow triggers the transfer of Melissa's consciousness into... Spoiler alert. This somehow triggers the transfer of Melissa's consciousness into Muriel's body. uh, And solves Orloff's problem by getting rid of Alfred and Andros too. If Orloff had known about Alfred's incestuous lust, the sequence would have been all the more horribly effective. The revenge of the father, the triumph of the old order against the new, and the symbolic castration of the son. That's very true. Good point. However, the absence of a shot depicting the death of Alfred suggests that Franco concocted the ending in the editing room and lacked the footage to fully exploit it. We never see the bodies, just the elder Orloff laughing maniacally. Given that so much of the appeal of the awful Dr. Orloff depended on gothic style and atmosphere, Franco was taking quite a risk by restaging the story in the present day with a prosaic scene. Sadly, a few nice compositions and locations here and there do not adequately compensate for the lack of Baroque and Kiriosku delights. Horror films of the 70s and 80s replaced gothic stylizations with increased graphic violence, confronting the dark side of man's cruelty in the full glare of modern sensibilities. 
Unfortunately, in the early 80s, Franco was going through his most dauntingly dismissive period with regard to graphic violence. Bloody Moon accepted. So we get nothing here when it comes to horrific spectacle. But what about sexual sadism? Sure, that's how Franco had shock to the excitement to his films. Well, there's one scene with some sadosexual fire as Alfred whipping a screaming hooker before handing her over to Andros, which is true, stands out as an otherwise lackluster film, thanks to Mayan's fairy performance, which reminds you that his otherwise poker face portrayal is down to directorial choice, not the actor's lack of investment. Otherwise, flashes of mischievous sleaziness are few and far between, although I did admire the way Franco's camera tilted downwards toward a victim's strangulation to peer intently at her crotch. Yeah, that was funny. A few more moments like this, and the film could have earned its stripes. Franco was capable so much of so much more, but for some reason this revisiting of the Orloff story doesn't ignite. It feels like the sort of remake one might hurriedly sling together to hang onto the rights of the original, except that Franco didn't own them in the first place. While it's marginally better than the talky and tedious Los Ojos de Dr. Orloff, Eyes of Dr. Orloff, um, and does at least give us a chance to see Howard Vernon back in the role that made him a horror icon, El Sinestro Dr. Orloff simply cannot hold a glittering candle, a, I'm sorry, a guttering candle to the Orloff films of the 60s. Eh, I don't know. Franco on screen. A minor pleasure comes when Franco's cameo as Agapito, a distinctively camp gentleman of whimsical manner, who's witness to the first abduction. He is, of course, giving a mincing cover version of the flirtatious female witness in The Awful Dr. Orloff, originally played by Elena Maria Tejero. Cast and crew. Uh, Antonio Raballo, a.k.a. Tony Skios, gives a curious performance as Inspector Tanner closest thing to a heroic character in the film. He's eclipsed for likability by Angel Ordales as the humorous down-and-out Perico. Riballo is better playing dislikable characters. His face more easily conveys cruelty, pendulance, and resentment. He plays Tanner with a streak of bitterness, his handsome features frequently curling up almost into a child pendulance. It's flip-flop time for Genoveva Ojeda. Yay, yay who plays the victim savagely whipped by Antonio Mayans. In the film immediately before this, Black Boots Leather Whips, Leather Whip, she was an S&M dominatrix who whips Mayans. Conversely, she was also the luckless recipient of a pair of heated hair-curling tongs between the legs in uh, La Noche de los Sexo Aberritos, wielded by Mayans. That's an... Um, yeah, wow. Uh, I'm all in favor of music. I'm all in favor of aggressively weird synthesizer music, but when it comes to oral chaos, there's a fine line between scary and irritating, and Sinestro Dr. Orloff's modern bibbling score. I love these English words. Proper English, I guess. British words, I should say. Uh, crosses frequency. Essentially one man, his newly acquired Prophet 5 keyboard, there it is, and a bunch of Campari, and a bottle of Campari, the music sprawls like a drunk's incoherent monologue over the action. Unlike, say, the similarly oppressive music for Devil Hunter, it lacks any sense of anchorage to the image. Yeah, which is different. It's like he's saying, it doesn't jive with the image. It's almost uh, it's opposite what you see, which, which makes it bizarre, which I actually like. It's a different way of thinking with editing music. Um... And although it does occasionally click into what you might call monkeys and typewriters sync synchronization, uh, much of the time it's just annoying. I I disagree. Fortunately, Franco includes a few older cues to break up the, his crude synthetic scribblings. The disco monks are back. Likewise, the demented synth theme from Botas Negras, Lago de Cuarta, Black Boots of the Whip, here recycled as the unlikely music for a seduction heavily reverberated clips from the aforementioned Devil Hunter and snippets of uh, Girls of Coco Cabana can also be heard doing, during Muriel Tanner's Midnight Walk through Alicante. Okay, so it's those three films. Locations. Uh, Sinister Dr. Orloff was shot on location in Calape and Alicante, and in some shots we gaze out over the now familiar extravagance of uh, Ricardo Bofill's La Manzanera housing complex which of course is in uh, She Killed in Ecstasy and a bunch of other films the big red 
apartments and the she killed the next city house next to it um Inspector Tanner's office has a giant photo portrait of Le Manzanera on the wall, which I caught that, uh, which suggests that the scene was shot in the estate manager's office. Makes sense. That's the police office, one room. That's cool. Uh, connections. Many of the Orloff connections are noted above. Antonio Mayans appears clean-shaven, having removed his mustache on camera for uh, Black Boots Other Whip. Um, you, believe, you behave as a monster as I once did, says Orloff Sr., his son's reply. I've had, I'm, I've based my theories on those of Fisher father. Refers obliquely to Orloff's disciple, Dr. Fisherman in Dr. Orloff's monster. That's cool. I didn't catch that. I mean, I heard him say that, but I didn't know who Dr. Fisher was. Dr. Fisherman. Tanner's assistant, Malou, is back, having once, having been banished to the uh, outer darkness since exorcism in 1974. Cool. Uh, once again, he's the cop with the wacky theories. You're suggesting that a vagrant's account of women appearing out of thin air may tie with the theories of Jacques Brigier, real-life author of La Matin de Magicians, a book which, among other esoteric notions, suggested that the early alchemists had a working knowledge of the structure of the atom. It's a pity Franco didn't tease out such arcane notions in the script instead of leaving them to dangle and throw away dialogue. Yeah, I, I talk about that later on uh, in the review, which I recorded before this. Uh, book scene. So yeah, that's the book scene. The book is uh, Le Martin de Magicians by Jacques Roger. Uh, the sinister all-red decor in the room where the victims are killed is a reminiscent of similar chambers in Franco's Venus and Furs and Vampiros Lesbos. Yeah, that's the red room. Um... Well, it's not where they're killed. It's where they're strapped to the table. Well, I guess killed, yeah, because their atoms are transferred. Uh, other versions. At the time of this publication, two versions of this film exist. The first is a 1984 video release, a way-too-dark video transfer stuck from a scratchy 35mm print retitled Experimentos Macabros, which is the one I have. I have the cover, but I have the next version here talking, spoken about. The second version I have the... So I have the box of the first version and the video of the second version. Um, let's see where we at here. Um, first... The second is a version bearing the original title screened on Spanish TV. In terms of picture quality, the TV version is by far the best way to see this film, which is good, which is true. The transfer is nice, but a transfer from the TV note, a transfer from the TV transmission available on peer-to-peer -peer sites is missing approximately seven minutes, seemingly due to digital reception problems on the part of the original uploader. So yeah, that's the part where I talk about during the end sequence when they're getting ready to do the rescue and all that stuff. That's where it craps out so that's a big uh that's a big thing there you know you should know that before you watch that so i didn't know that i should have checked it out better so anyway i still would have watched it but all right so uh yeah that's the update there on el sinestro dr orloff uh all right so let me do the little plugs here uh if you dig this show please subscribe on your favorite platform Every episode is downloaded and ready to go every Wednesday morning, same time. So if you subscribe, it'll be there when you go for it on Wednesday mornings. So please subscribe. helps the numbers, helps the show, all that stuff. Uh, download the shows, of course, if you dig them, and uh, have them there for you to have when you need them. Hey, let's see here. Uh, tell a friend. If you dig the show, tell people about it. Um, you know, it helps to get word of mouth, all that good stuff. Um, let's see, we have a, um, donation button on the front. If you dig the show, if you care to donate, please do either one time or reoccurring. I would appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can at francoobserver at yahoo.com. It's one word, francoobserver at yahoo.com. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, oh yeah, we have a page on Facebook and Instagram, Franco Observer Podcast, you can go ahead and add us there and get a hold of us and see all the updates and new stuff. Um, of course, the mission statement is praise in memory of Jess Franco. 
bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And I do know that I have introduced Jess Franco to many new people, either in person or through the show. So I thank you all for that. Uh, what else do we want to have? Let's see. We downloaded it. We did our credits. Um, good. I think that's good. I have Usually my notes I have in front of me. I don't. Oh, here we go. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Facebook, Instagram. Yep, knocked them all out. Awesome. All right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, too. You can always download the show and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Radio Public, and more. So, there you go. All nailed down. So, all right. Hang out past the bumper music, and you will hear my review of El Sinestro Doctor Olaf. Hola, mi amigo. All right, we are back with the review for El Sinestro, Dr. Orloff, the Sinister Dr. Orloff. Um, review by yours truly, Jason Rudy. This is a solo review uh, because under time constraints, I uh, just got back from my vacation and uh, I talked about it on the earlier part. So this is why we had to do this and I'm recording this portion first before the intro and uh, talking about everything because this time I decided to watch this first before reading a lot about it so alright uh, this is also from the Golden Films International period which is starting to become um, one of my favorite periods of Franco because um, it's funny as I was sitting here watching this film um, to me I think the thing that really attracted me to Franco and the more I watch now, this being my 109th film of Franco's, um, I watch it for either three reasons. Sometimes they hit all three. Um, sometimes they hit one of three, two of three, three of three, whatever. This film hit all three reasons why. First reason, most important, is a film lesson. Watching a film whatever film that I'm reviewing that week as a filmmaker, do I learn anything from it? Do I learn any technique? Do I learn any ideas as in, uh, cheap ways to do something more economical thoughts, uh, seeing the results of them, either a streamlined, um, location or a streamlined story or a certain trick shot, or a certain um, theme of a story, or, or something that, you know, it, a piece that I can use and change and incorporate it into my art, my films, my writings. And with this film, yeah, there's a few things I definitely picked up. Number two, of course, why we watch all films. Enjoyment. Did I enjoy the film? Did I like it? Was I amused by it? Was I happy by it? Sad by it? Did it stir anything to me, in me? Um, was it anything that I was thinking about or, or really enjoyed or something that I could compare to other stuff? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And that would be, yes, I definitely felt that on this. And third, basically as uh, content um, for the podcast, you know, something I could talk about. Was it good enough to talk about? Hopefully not bad enough to talk about. Uh, you know, is there a story behind it or, or did I find it worth talking about? Which... Either way, I'll, I will always talk about it, but, and that would be yes. So, this is definitely three of three. So, uh, let's see the review of it. Well, um, I liked this film. There's good things and bad things about it. Uh, what I liked about it was that it was streamlined. Um, for instance, the laboratory where he puts the victims, um, instead of it having full of test tubes and vials and and equipment and, and sparks and the whole, you know, Dr. Frankenstein or Fu Manchu or, or your traditional mad scientist lab. This was very sparse. It was a red room with a red table and the victim would lay on it nude and there was three straps across him and the servant was standing to the left and the doctor would look through a glass down below, just really basic very very basic and that was it and then a light on the right that or i'm sorry and then 
but the doctor would look he'd actually had a a a uh, a console of dials and I don't know if it was at that location or another location that they just focused on that but in theory you know you still have to have your equipment and basically it was just a light that was on a wall that would blink that basically he would atomize the women's body and transfer the cells via energy into the body of the person he was trying to reanimate, which in this case was his mother, Melissa. So yeah, basically this was a story in a nutshell of... Um, Franco, of course, did famous uh, The Awful Dr. Orloff, um, and then, of course, Dr. Orloff's monster, and did other man scientists, but Dr. Orloff and... Orloff appeared in a few other films, The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, of course, and then uh, this is like the what, fourth or fifth Orloff film. Um, and in this one, it's the son, and he, basically he's a very, um, he's not a very, he's a violent person, but he refrains from killing the women or, or capturing them, and he has his assistant, uh, Andros, do it, does it, which is like um, a version of Morpho, where he's basically has no eyes, he wears dark shades, but in this one they're uh, reflective shades, mirrored shades. So the mirror shots in this film, of course, on the Franco list, you see the mirrors of his sunglasses reflecting the women or the doctor or who's ever in front of his uh, gaze of the sunglasses. So... um, we see have that, and uh, but finally, Orloff does in fact whip one of the women toward the end. He finally decides to be violent, but uh, in this case, basically, it's him driving around the city at night, cruising the busy streets, looking for um, either prostitutes or women that he could pick up and take back to his place. And then he gets him drunk, goes into the other room, and then his monster comes in and chokes the girls or kidnaps them or knocks them out or whatever and carries their body back to Orloff's um, jail prison area where he, of course, chains women up and takes them and brings them to the lab and transfers their cells into his mother's body via a uh, unseen laser, an atomizer. But in this, Orloff, of course, is the famous Howard Vernon, um returning to his role because there's other people that played it um was in sinister eyes it was um damn i forgot his name but he's a really great actor um brother of famous guy and and he's in it and then um howard vernon was the original so he returns to this and he's basically in a wheelchair and he's uh more like a cameo appearance he's not a lead he's he has about maybe see that's what i always say about howard vernon he's either in a lot or he's in very little. And this is one where he's in a very little. But this is a good return to him because he had been absent from the Franco universe for quite a few years. So it's good to see him return back to the fold. Um, but in this, he's in a wheelchair and he's the famous Dr. Orloff. And uh, his son is obsessed with trying to bring his mother, Melissa, back to life. And his son is actually in love with his mother, and you see her dead bo- her dead nude body, and the son kisses it, and he talks about how he loves his mother, and he loves her, and he talks about the incest angle. Because Franco, during this period as well, almost every film has an incest angle of some kind. There's an element to it. It's not the whole movie, or but it's definitely a piece of the puzzle, and this is one where it hits on that again. During this gold films period, totally every film has some kind of an incest uh, element to it. So in this one, the son, of course, is obsessed with his mother, Melissa, kind of a... Uh, Oedipus complex uh, but he doesn't want to kill his father so uh, so his father warns him hey you know I've been trying to do this for years and, and it just doesn't work and the son's obsessed because his father's not helping him bring the dead mother back to life but Dr. Orloff knows better so we see this kid basically cruising around with his monster and uh, like I said abducting the girls and trying to do his work that his father won't do and uh, meanwhile there's an inspector Tanner that's uh being harassed because all these women are missing five or six at this point and uh some that we see before the film starts basically that he has kidnapped and and taken away and the police and the bodies are disappearing because they're atomizing them you know and um 
but then they're appearing other places by accident sometimes. So it's weird out of nowhere. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, then we find he, and he's getting harassed because he's not solving the case. So we have the inept cops and all that on the Franco list. And we have the, um, kind of the poor servant that sees it. And he's kind of a, um, like a, a hobo character and he goes from job to job lives on the streets. And so he's, he's truthful, but the police deem him unreliable because of his status in life, which is funny. So he used that element before with the early Franco films, Orloff, then he also reused it in the unofficial Orloff remake, which was Jack the Ripper with Klaus Kinski. And that has the same storyline elements, including the original film where the inspector's wife puts herself up as a decoy and is kidnapped by the killer and uh, used in either... In the previous film, she's usually saved, but in this film, she... Not to be a spoiler, but she... uh, gets uh, turned into the Melissa's cells, you know, but she looks just like her, so like a reincarnation angle. Um, but also, too, with this, I mean, I'll go through, I'll tell you all that. So, all right, Sinister Dr. Orloff. Uh, the version I watched is the Spanish TV print, uh, which I got from a DVD-R. Uh, well, actually, I'll bring that up now. So, yeah, I got this DVD-R, and uh, they always put the... Uh, like a copy of the VHS cover or some kind of an art. And the version I have is El Sinestro Dr. Orloff with one F, and it's from APER video, but it's really the Spanish TV print, which I mentioned, because that actually has some significance. So there's two ways to see this, basically. This VHS print, which is pretty dark, and the TV print, which is the one that's going around, and I guess it's on streaming sites as well. But... There's about five to seven minutes missing during the big finale where basically uh, they check on the woman's body after the transfer and then it cuts to like basically the good guys breaking in and, and fighting everybody and taking the body out. So that whole part is gone. So I had to read the synopsis to figure out that missing part because it's a big jump. So I guess what happened was that transfer that's going around, whoever recorded it, there was a mess-up with their recording equipment, and that part of the movie did not get recorded. So, But anyway, so back to this VHS case I have. It's called Experimentos Macabros, uh, which is a Spanish video title. Um, yeah, okay, they have it here. Experimentos Macabros, Dr. Orloff 1F, Spanish. So it's the Spanish video cover. But it's got like a picture of uh, like a nude woman posed with a rope around her, which is not in the film. Um, two g- guys that looks like they're at a kind of a bondage uh, gathering with these studded uh, leather masks and and uh, leather gear and studded jackets and all that. And that whole thing is not even in the film at all. Then I flip around the back cover and there's... Uh, like four naked people with their asses to the camera sitting on the shoulders of people walking into the water or fog. And that's not in the film either. So, yeah, it's totally misleading box art, which is funny because I was expecting that color and element and none of that was even in the film, which is, I guess, glad, but it's just, like, very interesting. And I think that back cover is used in, um, uh, what is it, uh, the Carzan films, um, that the lustful Amazons and those those two I think it's from one of those. Anyway, so um, yeah, okay. This film opens with body of water. You have really weird music, which is cool. There's like this synthesizer, bizarre the music, and it's very bizarre. I think it's Franco playing it with creepy voiceover of Orloff Jr., uh, which is Doctor Alfred Orloff, played by Antonio Mayans again as Robert Foster, and uh, a lot of out of focus, shaky shots. So this film was a lot of. Uh, him shooting from the car, him shooting people walking on the streets, and those are very handheld and very shaky. I was actually surprised at how shaky some of the shots were because with my own gear, as I talk about lessons filmmaking, I'm always trying to cut out the shaky shots of certain things and try to use better takes. And It's funny to see him use some of these. I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'd use that much of a shaky shot. I mean, I have some shakes, but not like that. Uh, so three minutes in the film, we get our first nudity. It's always a timer for me to see how quick he goes to nudity in this case. Three minutes stretches it out a little bit. 
we had that, the, the the first victim. It's a drunk girl in her room with a mirror shot where uh, Andros comes out of the closet and uh, kidnaps the woman. Um, and, uh, yeah, the sunglasses, blind servant, his first woman, and he locks her in the jail. And then we see, which I mentioned, uh, Melissa, the mother, nude body. The son kisses her body. And uh, then we see Franco, just Franco's first role. He comes on as like a stool pigeon, a guy whose uh, boyfriend saw uh, Andros kidnap the woman. And Franco plays him very exaggerated and floats his hands around and and uh, talks with a lisp. And he's very funny in this film, but uh, he always has a short role. So he's been playing this character a few roles lately. Uh, as he gets older, it's funny. Um, I liked the minimal lab scenes uh, with his, with the body. I like talked about the light on and all that really cool basic stuff. Uh, and it actually works, the streamlined of it. Um, I mentioned the actor, uh, plays Inspector, in this, uh, that's uh, uh, Antonio Ribolo returns. He's been in the last few films. He's a good, solid actor in this. He's good as uh, Inspector Tanner, um, Mario Tanner, which they used Inspector Tanner before, and um, Malou, his sidekick. Malou is a character name that's used in earlier um, the Spanish uh, detective films and that he did. Really good character, Malou. Um, and then uh, we have... Um, Orloff and uh, uh, let's see what I have here. Orloff and Jake. So plot device. Wife helps victim. Oh yeah. So the Orloff and Jack the Ripper, the subplot device of the husband and the wife posing as the victim. Like I said, he's used that a few times before. Um, then we have. Um, I like the scene. What I liked is the scenes I mentioned. Orloff or Orloff Junior. I call, keep calling him. Um, Dr. Alfred Orloff of him and Andros driving around the town and they're kind of convertible and you see the street lights and his narrative about uh, misogynistic terms of women of the night and this and that and, and how he's kind of talking very creepy and evil. It's very reminiscent of Taxi Driver or Maniac or the kind of 70s, early 80s slasher New York um Subgenre, kind of, which I dig a lot. The New York Ripper and some of the stuff reminded me of just that sleazy street kind of vibe, which he did good in this. And this is 1982. He filmed this uh, circa January, February of 82. So it's definitely right in that same pocket. Kind of a American Gigolo look. And yeah, there, there's some good stuff to it. Cruising, definitely. Uh, the dark street lights. Uh, looking for Mr. Goodbar, that that type of stuff. So it had that kind of feel in some of the shots of the buildings and the, the cruising the night. And the, the music's really bizarre. He uses this weird, like, music from the last couple films, like Devil Hunter and uh, Chicas de Copacabanas and the... The, uh, the the disco monks that he's used before and uh, let's see what else is he used uh, themes from um, uh, was it uh, yeah, Devil Hunter which I mentioned Chico Cabanas and uh, some of that stuff which was really bizarre you hear the, the kind of the beats and the weird stuff as they're cruising the night um, 24 minutes in there's a really cool lighting uh in the Orloff's first scenes where he sees his wife at the club. Really nice lighting with that. Um, and uh, I thought that, that was a really good sequence. Very odd, the seduction sequence, the music they use, but I don't know, it kind of fit, but it's a very odd choice. Uh, it's funny I mentioned the, um, this is the jeans period where usually a lot of the women in the film wear cut-off jeans, but in this one, Dr. Orloff Jr., Alfred Orloff, wears jeans. Um, you see him wear jeans quite a bit in the film. Um, there's a thing I liked, cool, where he talked about uh, cool ideas. And in this one, instead of having him get high by drinking something or smoking something or sniffing coke or shooting up, he has this little like little bottle of, he just takes the top off and puts it up to his nose and kind of inhales the fumes, almost like a little visine type bottle. And he kind of gets high and then he passes it to the girl who's the victim and she does it and she gets really high off it and I thought you know that's a really cool cheap effective different element to still get the same point across but to show it in a different way so that that was an, a, a cool uh, idea I thought and uh, something for filmmakers to use something different um, the monster walks through the door beads which we haven't seen door beads in a while in the Franco film so it comes that and gets victim number two um, 
And then uh, Orloff Jr. scaredly watches. He's kind of wimpy in this. I thought it was kind of cool to have the the wimpy little doctor and then his evil monster that actually does the does the work. You know, you see that a lot. Um, he talks about the human animization of Dr. Fisher. He talk, says he's, he's done it before with animals and with people that he can animize people and, re- and transfer their cells into another human body. And the older Dr. Orloff says, yes, but you cannot animize the soul of a human being. So that was kind of cool. It mentions kind of the Frankenstein deal where you can build a person, but you can't have the soul of the person. So it's the philosophical discussion of that. Um, whether or not you believe in that, and that's the the discussion. So, um, so yeah, he basically atomizes women and transfers their cells to his mother's body. Um, and of course, we mentioned the Andros has no eyes, so he can't see the evil that's in front of him. But he knows who's good and who's evil, and he basically can go after people by their screams. And he has like a radar in him where if you scream, he can find you. But if you stand perfectly still, which they don't go into this film as much, he can't see you. The other films, they do that where they stand still and he, and he can't find them. But if they scream or make noise, then he can tr- track them. Which they've done that in other monster movies with other monsters um, that are blind. Uh, let's see. Uh, car. Oh, yeah, I liked that. I did a scene where when the police inspectors are looking, they basically get in a car and they back out of frame. They let the car roll down the hill, backs out of the shot, and then the next shot is them driving into the next location. That's a nice little editing touch. Uh, he's done that before in Bloody Moon and in a f- few other films. I think one of the Red Lips films. I, I mentioned it before. Um, I like the scene of Orloff and victim number three, um, which uh, I like her. That's, um, uh, let's see, Genoveva Ojeda or Ava Palmer. She plays Oris, Lorna Green. She has three names. That's cool. She's Ava Palmer and Lorna Green. She's the third victim. She has the curly-haired one. She's in um, Black Boots, Other Whips as the women with a whip. And in this one, she gets killed by being whipped and then uh, strangled, which is a really strong scene. To me, it's probably the strongest um, scene or set sequence, whatever, in the film. Um, basically, uh, let's see, where is it at again? Here it is. So, yeah, he basically, there's a good scene of them getting together, and it's really sexual. He's flirting with her and gives her a bunch of money, and... She takes her clothes off, and he kind of like goes down on her, and they're together, and it's like really like kind of sexually charged. And then he just kind of gets up, and then goes into the room, and comes back with a like cat of nine tails whip, and, and just starts flogging her with the whip. And uh, she's screaming, and you start seeing welts and marks and stuff. And he, he whips her for a long time too, and then he uh, jumps down on her, and uh, yeah, and it zooms in and out on her on her boobs and her vagina, and then all of her whip marks and wounds, and then. He jumps on her and starts strangling her. It's like, Jesus, like it's almost like a snuff film. And uh, it does that. And then we have um, Orloff's gets interviewed right after that by the inspector um, and kind of blow, blows it off and he leaves, which is funny because you see the killing. And the very next scene is him, and, him, the inspector inspecting him. And then he realizes he made a mistake or whatever. And they start following him. And then that's where it goes a little more. Then we have another scene where Orloff cruising at night for victims, a shaky camera. Um, this time his wife gets in, uh, the inspector's wife sets herself up, and she goes window shopping. That's where I talk about the weird music and the street life, and that's about the one-hour mark of the film. Really cool sequence. I definitely said I'd check that sequence out and watch it, because the music with his music, cut with her music, cut with him watching her and her on the streets, and those four things mixes it back and forth and it's a very bizarre set which I liked a lot I like the bizarre elements of Franco uh, and we see a lot of shooting through the cage bars again when he's carrying the women back to the uh, area where they're at the jail there's kind of like rails or bars and Franco always shoots low angles where he shoots through bars to show a uh, symbolic of their caged or they're jailed before they're actually jailed but more jailed in mentality um we have the re- that repeating pattern again in all the films. And, you, of course, you have the name uh, Malou again, which I mentioned. Um, oh, it was funny, too. I was laughing when the inspectors go at the end to, to rush the castle. The inspector, the main hero of the film, has like, a red sweater tied around his shoulders and his neck. I'm like, you're the police inspector, and you're dressed like you're some college fraternity boy. It's totally funny. And he's, like, in his 30s or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, there's a big cut in the film from when... Um, they go to inspect the body and he turns the dial to when the inspector and Melissa and them are outside 
mine is 76 minutes. They say it should be uh, 87 minutes, so uh, for 11 minutes, so I would say about 10 minutes. So they say about 7 minutes, so yeah, there's there's definitely that section which is missed. So I would definitely like to see this come out on Blu-ray so I can see the complete film. And like I mentioned, this is off the Spanish TV version or satellite and all the nudity and stuff's there, but it's uh, shadow boxed, so it's... Um, black bars on top and black bars on the side so it's a, definitely a, a shadow box so this is definitely one film that could be released on Blu-ray there's no um, problems with music or uh, underage things or elements or anything it's it's pretty safe I definitely this period gold films they, they, they could do something if they can get a print of it they, they definitely couldn't put out this um, um, this TV print and the PAL VHS I don't think they could put that out so Unless they actually find a film element of El Sinestro, Dr. Orloff, we might be out of luck. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right. Uh, I'm going to go over the Franco list here. Since it's me solo, I can do this and not cut away. Um, all right. So, number one on the Franco list that we go through every time, my standard checklist that I put together over the watching of films to see a repeating elements. There's many more elements that I'm sure you've picked up that I have not caught or forgot to do or things I see come and go, um, like different things. Um, so here's what I have acquired. Number one, a body of water. Yes, there is a body of water right in the very beginning of the film. Number two, sailboat, which usually represents dreams or... Um, your uh, desires or fantasies, um, usually dreams, but no, no sailboats in there because people don't have dreams in this. It's all dead. Number three, boats. Yeah, we see a like a little motorboat, speedboat kind of going off in the water toward about the middle or end of the film, about middle of the film, finally. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yes, we see palm trees pretty early in. Number five, jungle sound effects. No. Number six, chained up person. Yes, uh, the inspector's wife is, she has like the makeup on her face, like a heart under her eyes. She's chained up in, toward the last, she, of all the people, the women that are captured, taken to the cell, she's the only one that's actually physically chained and tied up, which I laughed. I'm like, good, finally. Because it's getting close to the film, going through with nobody chained up per se. But yep, chained up person, definitely. Number seven, dance scenes on stage, stripping, no. No Lena, no uh, no films of a dancer, stripper, and audience watching. But number eight, club scenes, dancing. Yeah, we have uh, the dancing or the disco monks song, the oh from Copacabana, uh, with people just kind of boogieing down, dancing in the club, which I was laughing because it's just. And then the scene they they show that to have. Orloff walk into the club to see the inspector's wife, so it does serve a purpose. Uh, not just there for fill time. Number eight. Or, I'm sorry, I was number eight already. Number nine, jazz music. Yes, a little bit. Uh, it's like one or two tracks. It's, like I said, it's synthesizer and disco monk and other cues and stuff. But there is two like little uh, jazz numbers in this. Very minimal. Piano and another one. Number ten, excessive zooms. Yeah, quite a few zooms in on this. And like I said, number eleven, out of focus shots. Yeah, definitely with the handheld stuff and the street stuff is kind of spotty in areas 12 mirror shots yeah there's a lot of cool ones there's one in the beginning of the woman the first naked woman in her room there's of course the mirror shots of the sunglasses of andros where you see the victims and all that there's a cool mirror shot you see the reflection of the glass on uh which i use a reflection as well mirror of uh orloff and the father sitting by the glass and the reflection of the island rock uh area behind them uh the different layers of that which he frank has been using that outside shot in every film of standing on a balcony shooting the balcony glass door window and then whatever is behind him reflecting on that either the uh, buildings or uh, ships or the sky or mountains or in this case uh the actual cool stone kind of mountain area behind him so gives a nice layered effect which is always very beautiful he used that way back when and the other side of the mirror which is one that i first caught it on so um one of my favorite films of franco um 
All right, number two, number thirteen, mind control themes. Yeah, uh, Andros is controlled. You know, he's a servant. Not about mind control, but he's controlled. Yeah, mind his whole body's controlled by Orloff. Uh, number which leads to number fourteen, magic tongue scenes. No Lena in this film, so no Lena, no magic tongue. Although other women do wield the magic tongue in different films, but uh, not in this. Definitely no magic tongues. Uh, Fifteen red light. No red light. Just the light that blinks. To transfer the soul, transfer the atoms, but no, it's not red. But there's a red room that all that operates in. But yeah, no red light, just the red room. <laughs> Sixteen sheepskin rug or masturbation with a letter C item, cigar, candle, cigarette, etc. Uh, no on both. Uh, number seventeen, mad scientist and servant. Well, yeah, right in the title, you have two mad scientists. You have uh, Doctor Orloff. Uh, let's see what is Dr. Orloff's first name. The real Dr. Orloff. Dr. Orloff's senior, they call him. Okay, that's what I thought. And then, of course, uh, Antonio Mayans as um, Dr. Alfred Orloff. So you have two mad scientists, and, of course, the servant is Andros. 18 fish tank shots. <clears throat> no fish tanks, but Orloff Jr. watching through the glass tank, or the glass at the women in the lab, getting transferred it's almost like a, a fish tank of him looking at the fishes so i mean it's more of a theory of a fish tank but not an actual fish tank but but the concept is there 19 talking parrot or talking animals no 20 in credits yes or no yes it says fin and then the document number of the thing but no in credits but it does just say the fin and then of course the production numbers uh, 21 handwritten notes or signs on the walls anything shoddy like that no not in this film Pretty, there's a lot of minimalism in things and very sparse of things, which I really like, but yeah, definitely no handwritten signs. 22, spiral staircase shot. Yeah, there's a really cool one in this. For a while there hasn't been, but uh, Andros carrying the woman um, and back down. You see uh, from, down, from overhead looking at him carrying down and then him coming towards the camera and then one from below with a spiral staircase above him, which is cool. So he really nice spiral staircase shot in this. 23 uh, inept cops. Well, yeah, big time. Inspector Tanner, Malou, all of them are to get helped with uh, other people do the job and, and do the surveillance, and they kind of just fumble into it. And then he, even in the end, he can't save his own wife as he saves the body of uh, Melissa and with the soul transferred into her. So it's funny. So he can't even, his wife even is, uh, you know, killed by them. So it's funny. Uh, well, not funny, but it shows how inept they are in this. 24, belly chains. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. No belly chains in this. Number 25, kinks. Well, you have the whipping uh, S&M element in it. Um, the uh, snuff element. You have the incest element with the f- son and the mother. Um, necrophilia, that type of thing. So, yeah, there's a few things in here. Uh, 26, great headboards. No, no great headboards. Uh, number 27, just basic bits. 27, fear or desire? I'd say desire. He, Dr. Alfred Orloff, desires to have his mother back, desire to be with her, I guess, in a loving sexual manner as well. So that desire of uh, to learn everlasting lasting life. Um, really no fear, just the fear of the victims. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. No, no acoustic guitar per, guitar player in the film visible. Uh, 28, I'm sorry, 29, finally, reading a book scene. No, nobody physically reads a book, I believe, but um, Malou uh, talks about a theory of a writer in a book. He talks about it to his inspector, about um, the person that commits a crime, they come back, and, and the guilty party, and how they do this and that, and bring the body to the place. And So he quotes a book in there, I forgot the name of it, but yeah, there's, there's that sequence in here, so... All right. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I would recommend this film, although with that big jump at the end where you kind of lose a bunch of the story, that like really sucks just for any film to go, well, I really like the film, but six six or seven minutes right at the very end, like like 30 seconds before the end of the film is cut, that might deter people from watching this, but if there becomes a complete version of this, I would recommend it um, because of the sparseness. I like the... Um, the setting of it, the feel, what he did on the lack of budget. 
I liked the kind of the the cruising at night scenes for the victims. It was really cool. Um, I liked a few th- shots, ideas. I liked the the, the, the whipping and, and killing scene of the third victim. It was really good. Um, um, yeah, it's good locations. You know, it's uh, interestingly shot. Um, it could have used a few more things, of course, to make it a classic. But I, I definitely dug it. It's definitely better than uh, what its um, reputation is, I think. So, yeah, I would definitely say check it out um, if you're a Franco completist. If not, wait until a complete print comes out so you can see the whole film and, and uh, not have the ending kind of cut up for you because I'm sure you'd like to know what happens as well as I do, even though I read the synopsis. And you kind of know what happens, but it still kind of sucks to not see it. So, yeah, that's the only thing. It's like they hide it. They, it's like you're getting ready to watch something and you're getting ready to see what happens and then all of a sudden a curtain falls down and then five minutes later it comes back up and you're like, whoa, what the fuck did I miss? And everybody's like kind of, scooping up the vic- scooping up the pieces and then in the end you're like oh shit okay well there was that so yeah so boo on that um, so anyway yeah so El Sinestro Dr. Orloff I'm trying to think of a good way to exit out of that oh yeah so uh, coming up on the next episode will be episode 110 which is House of Lost Women and I'm thinking I will have a guest or two on that one. Um, when I record this, um, I'm going to be playing that film on my birthday, which is October 13th. And uh, hopefully I'll have a guest or two here with me watching it. I'm going to do like a movie marathon type party. Um, and uh, I'm going to play two Franco films. And we either uh, watch them by myself or if somebody drops in they will be the guest on that episode so we will see but yeah so next one is house of lost women and i know that's a complete print because i got the severin blu-ray of it and uh i know we're in good hands with severin like always so all right well buenas noches maha and uh i will see you all on the other side have a great day. Once again, thanks for listening to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy. Once again, buenas noches, my friend.